So we um, are on the gospel. We're talking about the gospel. And we trust in God to help us in our pursuit of, of knowing the gospel more, that our lifestyles will, will be in line with what the gospel is all about. And so this morning, just take your right hand and put it up in the air. Count how many fingers you've got. Five. That was quick. You didn't even... All right, so this morning we're just going to do five things about the gospel. Is that all right? Five things about the gospel. The first one is we're going to have five questions that we try to deal with and, and, so, and also answer them. Is that okay? So we can not just ask the question but deal with an answer. You ready? Five, eh? First one. Question is what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And again, many things that... It would be helpful for us to consider. But I want to ask you to take up your Bibles with me and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And um, we're going to read a few verses together. Trying to answer this question, what is the gospel? Uh-huh. Listen, by the way, we, we often have said this, but feedback from you is very good. Feedback via the microphone is something we deal with at the back and we sort it out. But feedback from you, we don't want to deal with. We just want to receive it. So when I say, yay, you go yay too. All right. If I ask a question, just respond. If you want to jump up and be even more excited about it, that's even good too. So um, you guys excited about that? <laughs> anyway, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing. He says, now, say with me now. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the, of the gospel, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. Say with me, first importance. It's incredible, hey? So when I came to you, Paul is actually saying, the first thing that was important to me to deliver to you was not news about the weather, not news about the politics, not news about sport, which is, by the way, good news, isn't it? Uh-huh. Sorry for those that were bad news. Anyway, Paul says, when I got to you, my first importance that I wanted to share with you was the news about the gospel. And so he received that which he is sharing and that this is the news that he, that he shares with people. That Christ died for our sins. In, according, in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. He didn't only die. He was buried. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So if we ask the question, what is the gospel, we need to firstly understand that it's something that's changed a person's life, and it was so important to him that he wanted to share it with others. Mm -hmm. And so Paul says here, there are a few things that I want you to take note. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. He says, I preached it to you, so I brought it to you. I didn't keep it to myself. How many of you have seen the gospel penetrate your life and change your heart? The gospel about Jesus dying, Jesus being buried, and Jesus raised from the dead. How many of you have seen the gospel change your life? Now, Paul says, when I received this, the first important thing that I wanted to do was to preach it to you. I wanted to share it with you. And then he says, you received it. See there? 
you received it. And now he says, as you received it, what does it do to them? It enables them to stand, to be able to pursue life from the basis of what God has done for them. Folks, we cannot stand on anything else but what Jesus has done for us on the cross. If you try to base your whole faith and your future and your family life and your finances on anything else as the foundation of Jesus Christ, you're not going to stand. Amen? We cannot stand without Christ as the foundation and cornerstone of our lives. He carries on. He says, and by which you are being saved. So it says that when the gospel penetrates your life, it's not only that salvation comes at that moment, it, it, it saves you. It is a continuous process that takes place. So to say, well, I got saved, and last week we spoke about it, that we cannot just marvel at the fact that we are saved. We've got to let the gospel continue to do its work in our lives. Correct? Uh-huh. And so we need to understand what the gospel is, that it is about Jesus dying, it is about Jesus being buried, and it is about Jesus being raised from the dead so that new life can come into our lives. And this morning, as always we do, we do not in any way condemn those that have never decided to stand and build their lives on this foundation. But we do implore you from deep down in our hearts, won't you decide? as an individual, to consider making Christ the, the foundation of your life by submitting yourself to Him and saying, Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. Come into my life. Save me so that I can start this journey with you. And as you start this journey, we help one another so that the gospel can, can, can continue to grow in our lives. So that's the first question. What is the gospel? Second question. All right? is who is the gospel? It's good to talk about what it is. It's absolutely key, key that we talk about who is the gospel. I don't want to say this, that <clears throat> it's one of those beautiful things that we as believers can do, and that is to study the life of Jesus Christ. There are many people in this world that you can study and you can go and read up about them. But there's no one better to study than Jesus Christ. The question I ask myself is, how's my studying going of Jesus? What is the latest thing? What's the last thing that I've just seen about him? Just learn about who he is. Because the gospel is a person. And what he has done is what we've just spoken about. But you know what? It's so incredibly important to understand just who the Savior of ours is. And when you read through the Bible, there's, I mean, I, I just put on two portions of Scripture, and, they, and they're chunky portions. And you know what is so helpful when we do this is to take, for instance, John verse chapter 1 from 1 to 18 and take almost days to work through this. It's not something that you just rush through and say, well, I read it. Tick the box. Basically said we need to read 1 to 18. I've done it. But have you really truly studied? Have you contemplated on who Christ is? Because that process, that lifestyle of studying Him 
enables us to become more like Him. And that's what the gospel has come to do. It's come to save us in an instant, but it's also come to save us over a period of time as we expose ourselves to the truth of who Jesus is. Now, I'm going to do a complete injustice to Scripture, and I'm going to just take you to John and, and just show you one or two things that is so incredibly valuable for us to do when we study Him. And the reason I'm saying I'm doing an injustice is because I'm going to hasten through it, but you actually need to do this at a very slow pace. How many of you love slow? <laughs> no, no. All right, a couple of hands. How many of you love fast? We just want to get there quickly, get it done. Uh -huh. It's like queues. I saw it Zesa this week. You know, there was some Zesa issues, and people were queuing to buy Zesa. It's like, I mean, there must be an amazing moment just to stand here and, and wait. It's like in the middle of the sun, and it's very hot, and we're just waiting. It's like, wonderful. <laughs> we embrace slow. No, we don't. And what happens was, even when we come to the Bible, we don't embrace slow because we're going to click, 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 read it. Somebody said we need to read three chapters a day. Let's quickly read it. Tick the box. Done it. What did I read? I don't know. I read it. <laughs> but when we read, for instance, John 1, <clears throat> it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. One verse. read it again and we say in the beginning it's amazing that it goes back to Genesis three ver first words of the Bible is in the beginning <coughs> and yeah John starts with that too and he says in the beginning was the word and the word is capital W and it refers to Jesus Christ because in the beginning Jesus was and has been and always will be Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is creator himself. And John introduces us to Jesus. And he, he confirms the pre-incarnate nature of Jesus, that he existed from before his birth. Some people think that Jesus came into the earth when he arrived here about 2,000 years ago. But Jesus has always been. And so as you study Jesus, you start to understand just who he is. We carry on and it says, and the Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And Jesus, or the Word, was God. So one verse. And even in just that one verse, there's so much that we can find about who Jesus is. We've got to, as we study Him more, as we consider Him more, the possibility is there. A huge probability that you will fall in love with him more and more. More and more you will start to understand just who he is and what he's done for you. And his nature and his character. And you'll say, I never knew this. I never understood this about him, but now I see. And that's what scripture will do for us as you study him. Question I ask us. Have you ever studied him? Have you really, truly un ever just sat down and said, I'm going to study Jesus? 
And there's no picture. You can't go and Google for pictures about Jesus. You just pick up the Bible and you ask Holy Spirit. Because, by the way, Holy Spirit, one of the Godhead, has amongst, is amongst us to help us know Jesus and fall in love with Jesus more and more. I am not the one to help you find Jesus. Holy Spirit is the one, primary one, to help us know Jesus. We can preach Jesus to one another. But ultimately, your love for Him is determined by your openness to Holy Spirit and to the Scripture to fall in love with Him more and more. And so may I encourage you this morning, please study Him, because the Gospel is Him. May I just also submit a warning to you as you do become a student of Jesus. A warning. You ready? The more you study Jesus with, from the heart, not from the mind, but from the heart, the more you want to live like Him. The more you would like to become like Him. And some of your husbands are like, oh, please, my wife, won't you just study Jesus a bit? <laughs> That'll help me. No, no, it's like we study, not that others could benefit, first of all. We study because we want to become more like Him. And as we become more like Christ, people around us start mentioning things that have changed in your life and in my life that says, there's something about you. What is it? No, it's just where our focus and who our focus on. The third question we want to ask is, First one was, what is the gospel? Second one is, who is the gospel? The third one is, what has the gospel done for me? What has it done for me? Do you understand what it has done? We need to know what the gospel has done for us to be able to live in the reality and the, and the revelation of what the gospel has done. This will further grow your appreciation for Jesus as you realize what He has done for you because the gospel is Jesus. I don't know about you, but I, when somebody does something very special to me, and it touches your heart, isn't it? Just they've gone out of their way. They've made huge effort to bless you, to serve you in a particular way, and it touches your heart. Uh -huh. and, and, and you want to reciprocate. You want to do something in turn, and it's not like you have to, but you feel like, man, this was, this was good. I appreciate what you've done. I appreciate your heart, and I want to. And I think that's what the gospel does, is that the more we see what the gospel has done for us, the more we want to, I don't have to do works to be accepted by God, but because of your work for me and what you've done for me and the sacrifice that you've made for me, I want to. I want to love you back. I want to give my life. And that's when you ask of me anything, Lord, it's no issue. It's really no issue. But I do think the the limited understanding we have of the gospel, what the gospel is all about, determines the extent of our sacrifice often. Because we know little about the gospel and little sacrifice comes. But when I see what he's done for me, I, I, I watched a few of these things on, on, on the internet the other day of these impromptu marriage proposals. Have you ever seen those things where, where, where the guy obviously um, makes huge plans to... to you know, just surprise his, his fiance, and in that moment, he's going to now, you know, propose. And, and some guys go out of their way. Incredible. You know, it just overwhelms the girl in a moment, and, uh, and then, oh, I mean, all resistance crumbles, and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. 
course I'll marry you, you know. And, and, and in that moment, it's just whatever, because you've just so overwhelmed me with, with your kindness, your love, and the effort that you made to, to set up all of this. I've got to say yes. And I hope that that yes will remain forever. But the point is that when you receive something so kind and so loving and so amazing, you want to give. You know, here's my life. I mean, I'll marry you. Yes, 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 yes. And I think that's why we want to study the gospel and see what Jesus has done for us. It's changed my past. Understand that the gospel has come to change the past life you have lived once you put your faith in the complete work of Christ on the cross. Once you appropriate the gospel to your past, the old changes and the new comes. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says. The new has come. The old has passed away. If you're in Christ, if the gospel has come, that's really what it means to have um, the gospel come to you is you're in Christ. You've appropriated what He has done on the cross for you. When that has come to your life, the Bible is very clear. Paul says you're a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And if we live in the old still and we, and we kind of stuck in the old ways and, and the old thinking, the gospel has not truly come to you yet because you still consider your present life determined by your past life. But when Christ has come and, and, and you've understood what He's done for you, the old has passed away, the new has come. That's what the gospel has done. There's just one verse that we will talk about. The fourth one. Say with me four. All right. We ask the question, what is the gospel doing for me? Because remember, even as we, as we read about Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 15 and, and in Colossians, we've spoken about the thing that the gospel has to increase in our lives. We know that the gospel has done something, and the gospel is also doing something in our lives day by day. The question is, do we live in the reality of what the gospel is doing? Let me quickly take you to Romans 6. And, and again, time will not allow us to consider the whole of the chapter, but this is a phenomenal, phenomenal portion of Scripture that enables us to see what the gospel, what Jesus is doing in our lives as we appropriate the gospel. Chapter 6, verse 1 then. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who, had, who died to sin still live in it? So if Christ has come, if the gospel has come to our lives, we have died to sin. So we no longer live in sin. We no longer live with a past uh, mindset and past failures and past sins. But when the gospel has come, this is what it's doing in our lives every single day. It enables us not to sin but to live holy. And the, and the trend almost of the, the mindset often is that, yeah, we, we're Christians and, oh, it's so difficult not to sin. So I just kind of like live in that reality that, yeah, I'm going to sin. And we do make mistakes. How many of you have made mistakes this morning? Sure, this morning already. Hey. Mm. <laughs> no, no. The point is we, we do make mistakes. We fail at things and we just... You know, we're human beings. But you know what the Bible says? What the gospel has done for you, that you're more prone not to sin, but than to sin. And so if you live with an expectation, that, well, 
I'm just going to keep on sinning. And yeah, I know that God forgives me. But if you live with an expectation that I can overcome sin and I don't have to sin, you're starting to appropriate the gospel in our lives. And the gospel is not just when I got saved, but the gospel is enabling me to be saved, to live saved. That's what the gospel is doing in our lives. And I just read one verse. <laughs> if you read through the whole of, by the way, won't you please do yourself a favor and go and study the rest of Romans chapter 6. As I was thinking about this, what the gospel is doing in our lives, I had a great conversation this week with Brett. And somehow we stumbled upon the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Daniel chapter 3. The story is such, and if you want to turn there, you're welcome. But I want to quickly just take you there because I felt that this was such an appropriate Old Testament reference to the gospel in our lives. You know what the Old Testament does? It, it always points towards what's coming. So by the way, you, you, you study the Old Testament, you're actually studying Jesus. You, you're reading the Old Testament, there's, there's a pointing towards this completion and the fulfillment through Jesus. Daniel chapter 3 is this amazing story. What has happened is that the Israelites were taken into captivity, into Babylon. And so they live in this, this foreign nation, and they've got to su um, submit to the foreign laws of that nation, which one of them would be, there's foreign gods here. So you listen to what we do, and do what we do, and what we say. And one of the things that they said through a king called Nebuchadnezzar, say with me, Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, well done. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, listen, I'm going to make an, an image, and, um, and you're going to worship and, and fall down in front of this image. And there's these Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they're God's people, and, and they hear this command given and this instruction, and they're like, ah, time out. They're not going to do it. Nebuchadnezzar threw some of his people, his, his um, uh, followers, they run to him. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, did you know, did you know that the three Jews are not supposed to, they're not submitting to this law that you've decreed. Like, oh, geez, they always have those people in life, isn't it? They just, um, they notice things that you are doing or not doing, and they run to others. I had that at school. Praise the Lord. I never did wrong. It's just others assumed it was wrong, and then they went and told the, the teacher. But anyway, and so Daniel chapter 3, we have these guys being exposed for something that they decided they're not going to do. They're not going to submit to this king and what he said to them. Listen to what it says in, um, in verse 12 of chapter 3. It says, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. <laughs> they do not serve your gods or worship that the golden image that you have set up. What a testimony about us if we could have that testimony. Hey? Imagine having such a testimony about your life saying, these people, these believers, they do not bow down to the images of the world, to the pressures of the world. They stay faithful to their God. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that them, those three guys, be brought to him, and, and he questions them. Is it true that what they're saying has happened? So verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, 
Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Look at the confidence that they have. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so that we have not bowed down to your images, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Because that was the, the threat. If you, get, if you get caught that you do not bow, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. They say, well, if that is so, then uh, God will deliver us. But if not, say with me, if not. I don't know how many of us live at that place of if not. Hey? It, I love the one that says, if this be so, our God will be whom we serve, He will deliver us. But if not, but if not, this is what they say. Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. If God saves us, praise the Lord, we're going to have a great worship session. If he doesn't, let it be known that we will still not succumb to your commands and your desires. Wow. How many of us live at the if not place? God, we trust you for X, Y, Z. We believe that you will be able to. But if not, if not, let it be known that I will not submit to the carved images, to the pressures of the world, to the attractions of this, this life that we have to take me away from my God. I will rather die in the will of God than live outside of it. That's what they really say. And so we then see Nebuchadnezzar is like, okay, boys, that is your attitude. Let's see if your God can save you. Boom, chucks them in the fire. He actually then says to these followers, listen, ordered them that his mighty men to bind them and to cast them. And then they, they, they's told that, um, that they need to actually stoke this fire even more. And the king, it says in verse 22, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they thrown in. The people that throw them in are killed because it was so hot. So this was no squeaky little fire that some of you wanted bry on. All right? This was something serious. The men that threw those guys in got killed. Verse 24, it says, And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not, say with me, did we not? Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said, yeah, King, it was three. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Now, this is a typical experience, a moment where God appears in physical form. Whether it's Christ himself, which is called the Christophany, or God, Theophany, we do not necessarily know. It could, be an, it could have been an angel. But the point is this. There were three men, and suddenly there were four. And because of the fourth man present with them in the fiery furnace that killed people if they come close to it, they stayed alive. Because listen to this. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Nebednego. Now he says, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. <laughs> They're like, yeah, whatever. It's actually kind of cool in here, eh? No, they will. Then they came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, all the officials gathered together, and they saw that the fire had not 
any power of the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar is in that one moment absolutely convicted, and he says, this is God. This is God. But this is what I want to say to you in line of what we're studying about the gospel, is that when the gospel is followed, when the gospel is appropriated in our lives, it is a person that comes and joins our lives, that no matter where I go, whether it's outside of the fiery furnace or inside the fiery furnace, I stay alive. Because I've chosen not to bow down to the carved images of this world. And boy, oh boy, there are many carved images in this world that you may not see, but they're out there. Materialism, fame, wealth. They are out there. And it keeps people busy every day of the week. And we run hard after these things. And we have to work. We've got to go out there and take the gospel with us this morning and take it into the world. We have to. But as we go, we do not succumb to the pressures of the world so that we bow down to the fiery um, environment. And you know what, what is real is that we can go out there and we can live this life and we can come back and we can, oh, I was so glad that I can be in church again. But actual fact, when we go out there, we're in this fiery furnace. How many of you know it's a fiery furnace? I mean, especially when it gets like 37 degrees these days, eh? It's quite fiery. We're talking about that. We're talking about an environment that is opposing God, that is trying to burn you, that's trying to destroy you. But you know what? The reality is if we keep Jesus as a focus, if the gospel has entered our lives, we can go in there and we can come back without a smell of fire upon us. How's that? What I did this morning, I, I quickly made a fire. And I took this shirt that you can see. Is, there's no mark of fire on it, is it? Huh? It's all clear. But won't you just smell it? Won't you smell it? Lovely smell, eh? Smell. I'll give you others also breathing. You want to smell it? Smells nice, eh? Eh? You want to smell it? So it all looks very good. It looks fine. She's done. It's just an illustration. I'm not going to put the fire on you. Like, whoa, more Lord. <laughs> no, it's just, it smells horrible because it comes from the fire. See where the smoke is. You can't see it. We can walk around. I'm okay. But actually, I've been affected by the fire because I'm in the fire, but the fire is affecting me. And most of us, if not all, we live in the fire every single day. But is this the smell of the fire upon you? And when Christ, who is the fourth man in the fire, is with us, no matter what fire you're in, my friend, you can walk around without the smell of fire upon you. Maybe you need to turn to your neighbor and just smell them a bit. Uh, just go for a deep one. Come on, pull it in, pull it in. All right? Try and smell what you can smell. If there's any fire, just say, this one. It's like, oh, I can smell smoke here. You've been in the fire. No, the point is we can go into the fire. And if the gospel is truly part of our lives, and if we're outworking the gospel in our lives, we can be in any fire and come back without the smell of it on our lives.
May we live like that. The last thing I want to say is, what should we then do in response to the gospel? I want to take you to, not this verse that's up there, it's called Matthew 22. Why don't you just turn with me to Matthew 22, and actually, I'm going to close with this. You all good still? You all awake? Doesn't smell in here, it's all fine. Matthew 22. We're going to go to a story that, that most of us have, have read. And in verse 15, the Pharisees coming to Jesus, and they plotted how to entangle him in his words. Now, how is that trying to kind of con God into something? It's like, oh boy, it's like a futile exercise. You're trying so hard to do what? You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be embarrassed. So the Pharisees are trying to do that. In verse 16, it says, And they send their disciple to, them, to him, along with the Herodian, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion. Therefore, <laughs> you are not swayed by appearances. Sure, that's um, so incredibly indicative of where we all live, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's like we do not care about any people's opinions. And, uh, you know, we... Um, we are not swayed by appearances. None of us live there, huh? That's a great motivation to have in our lives. Like, God, please help me not be overcome by people's opinions the whole time. That I live under this fear of man and, and trying to please man the whole time. Because guess what? We're not going to do that. We're not going to be able to manage to please man the whole time. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. But that doesn't define you. Please don't be defined by what people say. Carries on. That was just for free. Verse 17 says, tell us then, what do you think? <laughs> oh, let's find out what Jesus is going to say. Aha, we're going to catch him. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? <laughs> but Jesus, aware of their malice. How many of you know that Jesus knows exactly what is in our hearts when we approach him? Hey? You can't hide nothing from him. Jesus, knowing their malice, says, okay, let me answer them to actually expose something about them. To help them out of this misery they're in. Jesus said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? <laughs> Jesus, again, not worried about people's opinions when he says this to them. Show me the coin for the tax. So they brought him a denarius. They brought him a coin. And Jesus said to him, whose likeness and inscription is this? They're like, uh, it's not the same coin, don't worry. I've, it's not a denarius that I kind of went and got a hold of when I traveled through Israel, lying in the street or whatever. This is just 10 pence from United Kingdom, and there's a likeness of the queen on this. And so he says, whose likeness? And they said to him, oh, Caesar's likeness is on this. And then he said, Ren therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled. This is not a marveling of, wow, that's amazing. That is so good, Jesus. We love what you said. No, it's not one of those marveling moments. It's like, ah, 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 ah. I don't like what he said. Because this is it. What is due to Caesar is determined by his image on the coin. Now, we don't have Anangagwan R coins, but still, there's a due. Uh-huh. Taxes are to be paid. Everybody said amen. Uh, this block was quiet again. I just said 
No, I mean, we're supposed to pay our taxes. You pay to him because his image is on the coin. The face of Caesar on the denarius coin that Jesus used gave him ownership. The face of Caesar gave him ownership to what is due to him. But Jesus said, he uses that, he says, listen, the likeness of Caesar is on the coin. Then he says, but give to God that is due to God. We're talking about our response to the gospel. Who carries the image of God? If the image of Caesar determines who, what he should get, taxes, who carries the image of God? Genesis 1, verse 28, talks about that. Verse 26, Jesus, God said, Let us make man in our image after our line likeness. So what determines what God should get? If we carry the image of God upon us, if this is a coin, a lively coin, that carries the image of Christ, then we need to pay Him what is due to Him. I'm not talking money, so don't worry. Just let go of your wallets or your smart card or whatever card you have. This is talking about your life. God, in the gospel, clearly ins um, informed us that, that Jesus came to die for our sins. He came to give of His life. Our response to that is, I give back what is His. What is His? If I carry His likeness upon me, if the image of God is upon me, then I... I am the one that needs to give my life to Him. Not just some of my life, but he, my whole life belongs to Him. We should give to God that which has His image on it. And what has His image on it? Our lives. Who we are carries the image of God. And therefore, we say, Lord, that's what you ask. You say to them, if it says on the coin that the Caesar's image is on it, then you need to give to what is him, to owe to him. And if God's image is on your life, you need to give him what you do, what you need to give to him, which is your life. Not just part of your life, but your whole life. So the last thing is, what is my response to the gospel? I give my life to him. I do not own it. It's not mine to keep. This is the greatest response we can give to what has been given to us through the gospel. To recognize ownership of our lives belongs to Him. And therefore, I give it freely. That's how we live the gospel. By saying, not my will, but yours. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning that... You've called us to live a different life. A life that's not determined by our circumstances. A life that's determined by who you are and the ownership you have on our lives. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we continue to just explore the gospel, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to live the gospel. Not just get to know it intellectually, but to appropriate it, apply it in our lives every single day of it. And simply, Lord God, by saying, your image is on us. 
So we give to you what belongs to you, and that is our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help us with that. Even right now, Lord God, where decisions are perhaps being challenged about how I want to live my life, that I want to live it for myself, that I want to have a comfortable and convenient and, and, and just a life full of fun. And, but Lord God, when we live for you, it has all those aspects in it, but there's the willingness to sacrifice for you too, to say, I do not own my life. You do. Your image is on me. So I've paid to you what is due to you. It's my life. I pray, God, that you'll help us with that. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus.